Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're talking about the Kingdom of God. And this morning, we talked a little bit about a number of different items uh, that were constantly bringing us back to the Kingdom of God. And I quoted Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's the Supreme Court Justice of the United States, who just recently died. And she, had, we, I quoted this one quote where she said, "Not heaven sent." And she was talking about the restrictions on us and the, our right to choose. And, of course, there are some restrictions on us and our right to choose, but actually God allows us to choose evil. He allows us to choose the wrong way. And, of course, if we choose the wrong way, he does not allow us to choose it without the consequences of those choice and choices. So... Uh, we have those choices, but not without consequences. So we were talking about some of the consequences of some of the choices that we've made over the years and over the centuries that has led us away from free societies, away from healthy societies, away from healthiness itself, and uh, has actually caused a great deal of death. And, you know, like we just recently had the COVID thing and, and everybody thought this is a deadly disease, and it really isn't all that deadly. If you actually gather the statistics on this flu virus the same way you used to gather statistics on flu viruses, the death rate would plummet. Because we never used to say that somebody died of the flu when they actually died of a motorcycle accident. We never said that they died of the flu when they died of heart failure and diabetes and obesity, which is major causes. When this is all said and done, when we go back and look at the deaths and the, the causes of death, you will see, you know, obesity, uh, heart failure, uh, pneumonia, all these things that are common occurrences, those statistics will have dropped and COVID will have gone, you know, flu will have gone up. The regular flu wouldn't have, but COVID will be up real high. As a matter of fact, I would bet you money on the fact that the regular flu deaths that we normally see every year have actually dropped this last year because they don't really know if you're dying with flu or with COVID because the PCR test is not going to make that distinction. Most of the time, especially the way that most of them take it. So, what we're going to be concerned with now is what is going on in our lives today that is misleading us so that we make bad choices. And I also gave the, the explanation to numerous people. There was a doctor, uh, I don't know, the, some dog name in his uh, name. I don't know, he uses this word Dr. Dog or something. And a bald-headed fellow, very articulate, very smart, very bright. And he was against masks at first, and now he's for masks. And he bases it on the fact that he thinks that if you wear a mask, you're going to have less inoculation of the disease. In other words, if you get exposed to a great deal of uh, of a virus, any kind of a virus, or even bacteria you're more likely to get infected or a serious infection the more you get exposed to that on a statistical basis. Some people, it won't make any difference because their immune systems are so strong they won't get sick. Other people are with uh, moderate immune systems. If you give them a huge dose, they will get sick. And they did studies with mice where they sprayed mice with a viral substance and they, the more you sprayed, the sicker they got. So they say there's this inoculant quality to being contaminated by something like a virus, which in itself is not really a disease, but it causes a disease depending on how your body reacts to it. Now, why do I say that? Well, COVID or, or this virus that you get you never get enough of it to actually make you sick. You, 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 almost no situation can I imagine 
where you would get enough of the virus, which are just little tiny exosomes, tiny, tiny, tiny little things, smaller than bacteria, you would not, you, almost nobody would get uh, enough of that inoculant to actually make them sick. What is making them sick is the fact that some of those exosomes get into their cells, usually a T11 cell, and, you know, one of these type 2 cells that are in your lungs, because it's usually a lung virus, and so it gets into them, and they replicate the virus. So you get 10 in there, and they, they could turn into 200. And then the 200 could turn into 2,000. And those 2,000 or 20,000 could turn into hundreds of thousands. And those going out will might contaminate other uh, T-cells with this virus and be, again, replicated and keep expanding... Eventually, your body's going to see that they, they have all these exosomes floating around in there that are not yours. They're being produced by your T-cells, but they're not originally, they don't have any purpose in your your body. And so, your body will start to disintegrate those cells and, and destroy those cells, putting out exosomes that will do that. And we call those, you know, antibodies that will go out and destroy those cells. Another part of your immune system will find the cells that are replicating these and they will turn those cells off. They will actually cause those cells to become devitalized and die. And this this is the cytokine reaction where your body is turning off your cells to get them to stop producing these unnecessary exosomes we call viruses. The reason we call them a virus is because they're starting to create a toxic effect. The biggest toxicity of that effect is that those are those cells that are producing those exosomes or virus agent are being turned off by your own body that they're dying. And it, since they're affecting the elastic part of your lungs, it can make your breathing heavy, very difficult, labored, because your lungs aren't stretching as well because you've damaged so much. It maybe took you, your, maybe your body was slow at developing an immune response and uh, you got real sick. This is very common amongst real elderly people. Their immune systems are not quite as robust and they're weak and so they get more sick. Now, it is true that the bigger the original inoculant, the quicker this process of it, uh, of generating these other exosomes through replication will occur in your body, especially if you don't have any T1 memory of this coronavirus before. We were told by Fauci originally the coronavirus was a nouveau virus and therefore we had no immunity to it. That's not true. It's been proven not true by doctors now who've done tests, peer-reviewed tests, that 28% of the people were already immune before the virus even showed up because there was enough immunity left over from previous coronaviruses to stop this coronavirus. But it did get a hold in a lot of people. And of course, some people of their immune system, especially the elderly, might not react as quick. They might have some memory, but it might not react as quick. But here's the, the kicker. The inoculant is mostly in your own viral load. And the only, because you're, you're producing this virus, replicating it in your cells. And you're contaminating your own body with these cells in your body. You know, because you're replicating this false information, this RNA information that is in this little exosome, which is a little like envelope with some RNA material in it. And you're replicating that and it's, you should not be doing that because it's not, has nothing to do with value in your body. But because you produced it, it's getting into other cells. And until your immune system says, holy smokes, I don't want to be replicating this anymore. And they send out exosomes to tell all these other cells not to replicate this COVID. Don't replicate it anymore. Stop. That's part of your immune system. Then it goes around and turns off cells that are not listening or continue to replicate. And it turns them off. 
And then that's when you have this ill reaction. Okay, during this brief period of time between when you're first exposed and begin to replicate, before your body begins to realize that you're infected with a lie, you are very vulnerable to infecting yourself. You want to get out, get fresh air. You want to, you know, breathe out, maybe take warm showers, bathe all the time. You know, This COVID is a lie that your body is producing a lie inside of yourself, lying to all the other cells inside your body that you need to reproduce this. But now all of a sudden you know the truth and your body goes out and is going to tell the rest of the cells in your body, you have billions of them. This is what you have to realize the numbers. Just to give you a, a little picture, you have like 37 trillion cells in your body. <laughs> That's a number you can't even fathom. You probably have like 20, 30 billion cells, billion cells in your lungs. Just in your lungs. And then I don't know how many millions of those would be the T2 type cells or T11 cells that are the elastic cells that can actually pick up COVID. You're not talking about a couple hundred viruses. You're talking about millions of viruses that you're replicating. Okay, you're replicating them. Your body hasn't quite turned on. You want to stimulate your body to produce an immune response to stop this process as soon as possible. Hydrochloroquine actually slows down that process in your body. Zinc actually helps stimulate your immune system. And uh, there's also other drugs, ivermectin, uh, that can be used to slow down this process. And while it's slowing down the process of replication your body is actually going out and trying to fight this. And then, so that you don't get this big infestation. This Dr. Dog was saying, uh, and I may get his name wrong, but it's something like that. But anyway, he was saying that he was against masks. Now he's for masks because he saw the statistics that people in, in uh, healthcare situations were the first to get really sick. And they, they said that using the masks and everything cut down on their uh, inoculation because they were dealing probably with numerous sick patients. And so the more this sick sickness they were exposed to it, the sicker they got. And he thought they were getting so exposed to it because they're working in a healthcare situation with lots of patients. Except there are some people who worked with those patients every day in other, do- in other hospitals and they didn't get as sick. Why is that? And he gives this example of the mice being sprayed with an inoculant. The more they got sprayed, the sicker they got. You know, in the original spraying, then the sicker they got. It's simple. The healthcare workers are all wearing masks. And in the first stages, before they even show a fever, when they're maybe asymptomatic but infected, they will expel some of the viral agent that they are producing. That they are replicating in their own cells. Except because they're wearing a mask for hours and hours on end, they're breathing back in that same viral load. They're inoculating themselves. You know, when your kids have diarrhea and you think it's maybe because they were playing with something or they ate something, you always say, well, we don't want you to reinfect yourself, so wash. Okay, so... The healthcare worker washes. She's still wearing the mask. She's breathing back in every single, not every single one, but a lot more of the viral agent than she should be breathing back in. But she is because she's breathing back in the same air over and over again. Some of the virus is caught on the mask and the moisture and all that stuff. But then she breathes and it's viscerated back into her system. She would be way better off going out in the open air and breathing out in the open air. Way better off staying home, not being sick at all. And, uh, you know, you can monitor to see if you get any kind of a slight, slight little fever to stay home. And But don't wear a mask. The masks are what's making a lot of these people sicker and sicker and sicker. And the idea of preventing people from being exposed is ridiculous because you want them exposed. Unless they're very old people... You know, uh, 80, 
85 years old or something like that or even in the late 70s. You want to keep them from it until the rest of you have herd immunity. Their, their immune systems are probably not going to get a lot better in the next 10, 12 years of their life. So you protect them because they're the elderly. We do that all the time with everything, you know. Uh, we protect the elderly first because they're more vulnerable. But you want the disease to travel through society in general amongst the healthy ones so that they all get immune. And 99% of the people who get this, they get immune. Half of them don't even get sick slightly. And then your whole society is healthier. In nature, herd immunity is what it's all about. The cows, the sheep, whatever, they, they, the ones who stay on the outside and face danger, they're protecting all the ones inside. The, I remember the muskox up in uh, northern Canada, when the wolves came around, they would herd all the young into the center of the herd and that all the strong males would be around the outside and all the females would be kind of in the herd unless there wasn't very many and then they would take their sides along the male because they all have horns. And they would face the danger and keep the next generation safe. That's what you should be doing. But anyway, so what does that have to do with the rest of this stuff? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that we were talking about this morning. Well, I, I read this morning that, you know, this one quote, Kennedy, referring to the justice, chief justice who was put into place by, uh, appointed by Trump. You know, he got all this flack and everything, but he, he said at one time, held up his old boss as a cautionary tale. Marshall's health problems forced him to retire during the administration of George H.W. Bush, who replaced the legendary civil rights lawyer with Clarence Thomas, a conservative ideologue who has spent his 27 years on the bench working to unravel virtually everything Marshall fought for. Well, okay, this is why Ginsburg didn't want to retire, and uh, and especially once Trump was elected. And that was one of the last things she said. She didn't want Trump to pick a new Supreme Court justice to take her place. And and believe it or not, I mean, this is just astounding. What the kind of rhetoric that's going on now? I I read where uh, Reza Aslan, and I have whole recordings up on him. He wrote the book The Zealot. And I go through how he has such a misconception of the Bible. I mean, he's a religious scholar. Really bright guy, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's confused because he's accepted some information that's not true, put other information together, and come up with a felonious conclusion. A lot like why we just talked about the virus. He's, he's a lie infecting the minds of people. And his own mind has been infected. I mean, he went to all this college and everything, and his own mind has been infected. I hope he's cured as an individual. But just, he is a virus infecting society. He's often on like CNN. He's a big favorite of CNN and everything. But he says, and I'll quote it here, if they even try to replace RBG, which is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we will burn... The entire effing, I won't say the whole word, effing thing down. And there are other people saying this as well. If they try to ram through a new replacement for her in the following months, what is it, September, October, November is the the election, then they still would have December and January for the Senate to, uh, or the first part of January to place somebody in. You know, how people were normally appointed to chief justice in the United States. If you go back to Washington, you go back to anybody in uh, the history of the presidency. You know, George Washington first appointed all of them, but then, you know, some died and were replaced. And, uh, well, actually, there's a lot more of the story than just saying he appointed all of them. But uh, uh, it was... You know, he appoints them, but the Senate has to approve them. But uh, Harrison, uh, some of these guys died, some of them stepped down. But they were replaced within days. February 8th, gone. February 10th, new one. That's that quick. October 31st, November 7th. Not even a week. 
uh, February 27th, February 28th, appointed a new one. March 4th, March 4th, same day. This is how they, because it's not a political office, you don't have to run for office. All these guys are federal judges. We already know their history. They're well known. So, you know, same way with uh, William Cushing. January 26th was the, the death of Jay, or the Jay was gone. <laughs> and uh, January 27th, the new guy was there. I'm not sure which one's actually died or just retired. But uh, it's a lifetime office, so you, you see the same thing over and over again. Same way with Blair. They would go, and the next day there would be another one. How long did that go on? It was Sue Monroe, Jefferson, Quincy, all of these guys. They One day there was a, they were a member of the justice, and then they were gone. And you look at when the new guy comes, and it's the same day or a few days later. Like John Spencer, Reuben Woolworth. They were appointed the same day as the other justice was gone. And and even during wartime, we see the same thing. Pope, Millard, Franklin, all these guys were appointing new justices almost the next day. Uh, you'll see sometimes where there might be a week or two pass that before they appointed a new guy. And this was in a day where there were no cell phones, no fast trains, no jet airplanes, you know, even the mail, well, maybe the mail wasn't slower then. We were just talking that. The mail seems slower today. <laughs> We've been trying to mail a, one of our books to somebody in Iowa. No, Michigan, I guess it is. And it's taken a month. It's come back to us twice, addressed exactly the same way, exactly accurate address. It can't get out of Seattle. Finally, it was supposed to be there on the 16th. It's still not there. It's somewhere in a route from Pittsburgh to Michigan. And, I mean, it's, this has been a month that we sent this out. This And we see this with all sorts of things. It's like, I don't know what's happened to the the the, the mail. It's just, it's just ridiculous. We used to joke, did the pony die or something? But it's taking two weeks to mail a letter from one town to the next in Oregon. What is going on? But anyway, back to the Supreme Court justices, all the way up into Calvin Coolidge. I'm looking at the list. Herbert Hoover, I'm seeing the same thing. You know, February 15th, the guy dies. February 24th, the new guy takes over. May 9th, May 20th. Uh, the end of March, the 1st of May. It's just over and over. See, even with uh, others like uh, Cardozo when he went and uh, was replaced by uh, Felix Frankfurter. You know, it's one day he's dead and within just uh, over a week, ten days later, he's got his appointment. New guy in place. And this is under Roosevelt during trying times. Harry Truman, the same thing. Now, Dwight D. Eisenhower, we see a little bit of shifting. The dates seem to be a little bit farther apart. I mean, we still see, you know, March 2nd, he dies. March 19th, the new one is appointed. But we also see uh, January 14th when uh, Minton died and William Brennan Jr. was appointed. There was actually February and the middle of March he was appointed. So it was maybe almost two months there go by. We see that, you know, the same thing with Lyndon Johnson, pretty same. John F. Kennedy, you know, uh, last day of August and the middle of September, new guys put in place. Or April 3rd, a guy steps down or and another guy's in place April 11th. It's almost no time whatsoever because it's not a political office. You don't need this huge political debate and know everything about him and who he dated back to. 50 years before that isn't that isn't how you pick the justices you look at their record do they know the law are they competent and you pick them but they politicized the office and uh, Ginsburg was even against that even though she did it because people are turned the uh, Supreme Court which is the God's many that Paul talks about into deciding good and evil and political agendas. They're legislating from the bench on a regular basis. 
So the idea that he couldn't appoint a new one is ridiculous. The only reason I point this out, though, is so that you understand this is the progression of things. This is the way things will go if you accept the lie to begin with that the kingdom of God is not at hand. The kingdom of God operates by love, by faith, by hope. The kingdoms of the world operate by force, by power, by fealty. That is not what you want. That if you operate where you're going to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to provide a daily ministration through force, and you are going to cultivate envy and jealousy, and I I quoted numerous Bible quotes this morning, where it was going to cause envy and jealousy to bring about certain things. This is the essence. If you live by the spirit of the world, then you will, and the spirit of dictators, the spirit of the beast that wants to take a bite out of one another, you will create a monster that will devour you. That's what you will set the trap for your neighbor to make gain lurking privately for blood, like Proverbs tells us, but you yourself will be caught in that net. So anyway, so much for that part. We got into half the show now talking about that. I was going to take a look here. I can't watch one board and the other board at the same time. So how are we doing over here? Yeah, It says we're still on the air, but I don't know where... <laughs> I have no way of checking it. They called and said that I wasn't going on the air. And I saw there was an interruption, but I tried to cancel. Hopefully, we're still going out on the air. If not, like I say, we're recording here in the studio. And we will share that with you on the network. If you haven't joined the network, you should join the network. Get all the updates. We're going to start be putting out more and more updates uh, through the network. So that you you can go back and study a lot of these programs, a lot of these information. If you go to... You go to preparingyou.com and you look up the word gods with an S in the search engine up there. It will take you to an article and we have recordings there. We have videos there that explain that all the gods in the Old Testament and the New Testament were actually systems, judicial systems. And uh, I'm going to be putting up a page on uh, sui juris and sui juris and the church, because if you look up sui juris, which is a Latin phrase that has to do with possession of your rights, most of what they tell you in the Wikipedia is sui juris of the church and sui juris churches. All churches used to be sui juris. Under Christ, not under men. They weren't institutions of men. They were institutions of Christ. That is what the church is. It's an institution of Christ. And understanding that, a lot of people don't understand that. And I'm preparing a series to help people understand that a little better by talking to people who think they're the ecclesia of Christ, but they're just random congregations out there kind of getting together because they saw churches seem to be impotent, so they got there together. And I'm all for a lot of what they're doing, but they're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God, not the isolated little congregation of God that makes them feel good any more than they're supposed to be looking for the little preacher who tickles their ears or makes them feel like they're saved even though they continue to do contrary to the will of Christ and the will of God. You don't want that. That's not the real church. The real church is sui juris. And the real church is a servant of the people. The real church is the servants of Christ and the brethren of Christ. And they're doing something quite a bit different than what the modern churches are doing. But anyway, we'll explain all that later. What I want to continue, one more quote from uh, Ruth and uh, and see if we can't put something into uh, perspective that a lot of people just simply don't understand. And uh, what she said was, she, it says here, the quote is, She has said on many occasions that for women to attain true equality with men, they must have sole control over their fertility. This control in Justice Ginsburg's view is tied to a woman's ability to be independent, which is in turn tied to her status 
as an equal citizen. Well, right now, if you went to Europe and you did a study that's already been done by doctors to find out the fertility of women, they will see that the fertility of women in Europe, especially those that have taken certain vaccines that have been promoted all across Europe, certain vaccines, has dropped from 67% fertility rate to 25% fertility rate. You cannot sustain society with that. The birth rate was already extremely low before they did this test or before they were even getting those vaccines. And that was because of socialism. You didn't need large families anymore. So the birth rate dropped down to 1.2. And you cannot sustain a society with that. And so now they brought in all these immigrants, but those immigrants don't have the same values or the same culture. So Europe is changing right before our eyes. And uh, some of the some of those cultures were probably pretty decent, and uh, but some of those cultures had created the devastatingly poor, impoverished, uh, dictatorial economies that would lead somebody to flee those countries. And they're they're coming from those countries and implementing the same spiritual culture and ideas that they had in the countries. Uh, that they're coming from that have been devastated. It's kind of like a plague. And they're coming in this plague and they're destroying it. Now again, like I said, some immigrants are not bringing that plague. But those that are, are infesting the minds of lots and lots of people. It was already kind of in Europe to begin with, which is why so many of the nations had socialist policies to begin with. Because socialism, you know, and capitalism, which is not a political system, Capitalism is just an economic system where when you produce something, it's yours. When you invest your labor and sweat into some sort of commodity or some sort of production, you have a property right in that thing which you created, that thing which you made. And if somebody takes that thing without compensating you for their property right, that's called stealing. That's been around from the beginning. Uh, that, that, that is part of nature. And we, we gather together to protect that property right in each of us. And the reason you have to have property is so that you have the opportunity of choosing to give that property away into the, for the benefit of society. Just like laying down your life. Laying down your property is like laying down your life. So you lay down a portion of your property to, so that others may be saved from, you know, starvation or, or disease or whatever. Uh, in, in strengthening the whole of society in a way that strengthens society and makes society immune to such poverty. So that is the nature of making society stronger. But there's also things that will make society weaker. And that was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor. Didn't say they didn't help the poor. They did not strengthen the poor. Of course they helped the poor because that's how they got people to sign up for these systems. But anyway, another quote that Ruth gave was, Women will only have true equality when men share with them the responsibility of bringing up the next generation. Well, that actually has been going on for thousands of years. It's just that the husband usually had a certain part in this or the husband and father had a certain part in that bringing up of the child. He does not breastfeed. He isn't that kind of a nurturer. Although when one of our children were growing up, my wife burned herself bad and she couldn't even hold the baby in her hand. It was just a newborn baby. And I would have to come home from work every time the baby needed to be nursed <laughs> and hold the baby for her so she could nurse the baby. So we worked together on that. And that's what most husbands and wives have done for thousands of years. They've shared that responsibility. The husband goes out and works. He works in the field. He defends the family. He uh, uh, sacrifices his life, his sweat, his toil to make uh, life possible for his wife and children. And that they've been, husband and wives and women have been working as a team. Feminism would make you think that men have just been going around beating women and oppressing them ever since the beginning of mankind. There's always been men who do that, but most men have not been doing that throughout the ages. There's certainly always room for improvement amongst men and women, but this has been a, 
society has prospered when we work together on that effort of raising the next generation. And so somehow or other, Ruth thought we stopped doing that. Not so. What's happened is we've started depending upon the state and bringing up the next generation. And less upon the family. Less upon a voluntary community. Used to provide schools and education in America. Wasn't to public schools. It would sue private schools. And almost every private school from Harvard to Princeton all provided free education for anybody who couldn't afford to go to the school but could keep up the grades. That's always been the case in early America. That's what made America great. It was that kind of sharing and volunteerism that created most of the Northern Army that... Uh, that defeated the South when the South, not that the South seceded, but the South seceded militarily, where it fired on Fort Sumner, which was a federal fort it had no right to, confiscated federal gold, which it had no right to, and of course it was blind to the stupidity of that because many of the men were uh, involved in things like slavery. That had weakened society to to be involved in slavery. It was only a small percentage of the South that was involved in slavery. And slavery actually hurt white people more than it helped them, or hurt more white people than it helped because of the fact that it it caused this huge source of cheap labor which made many of the people in the South impoverished. While people up in the North, they didn't have that competition and almost anybody who was industrious could become successful. Blacks were on this upple mobile uh economic mobility uh even through Jim Crow and and long before the Jim Crow laws after the Civil War they were on an upward mobility economically. Certainly there and this was because they had strong families. But then something changed and it was not Jim Crow that brought about the ghettos that we see and the crime that we see today. And what I wanted to get into is, because she was worried about Judge Thomas and other people were so, Judge Thomas undoing everything that Thurgood Marshall had put into place. Well, according to uh, lots of people, lots of black scholars that like Thomas Sowell and Booker T. Washington, of course he didn't know uh Marshall, but uh, certainly according to his philosophy, but Walter Williams, uh, Frederick Douglass, who was back farther, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, which we've already mentioned, Bob Woodson, Jason Riley, Shelby Steele, all say that those programs that they want to protect so much from Clarence Thomas and anybody else appointed by Trump or anything were actually what was devastating the black community. It was killing the black community. And Walter Williams lays this out in books and he quotes other books by black researchers and even white researchers that end up laying out the evidence so that anybody who wants to actually study can see that that is the case. Back in 2013, uh, Walter Williams, he wrote an article, Black Self-Sabotage. And uh, in it he says... If we put ourselves into the shoes of the racist who seeks to sabotage the black upward mobility, we couldn't develop a more effective agenda than that followed by the civil rights organizations like Thurgood Marshall and others, black politicians, academics, liberals, and other new media. He says, first, we weaken the black family, which is Black Lives Matter wants to destroy the nuclear family. So they're actually warring against. The reason Black Lives Matter to the guys who founded the organization is because blacks are could be extremely instrumental. That Right now, they're the canary in the coal mine in, in making America great again. They were on the way to do this after whites liberated blacks during the Civil War. You know, somebody want to give them reparation, all the whites who died fighting the Civil War? That We shouldn't have had a Civil War. We didn't need a Civil War. We could have ended uh, black slavery without it. But people were putting it off. And then the, some people in the South decided to do stupid things. And they ended up with a war. They could have seceded, but 
and it ended up with this war because of the blindness of their own hearts and that blindness was from selfishness. Socialism breeds selfishness. So anyway, he says you weaken the black family, but don't blame it on individual choice. You have to preach that today's weak black family is a legacy of slavery, Jim Crow, and racism. The truth is that the black female-headed households were just 18% of the households in 1950. He doesn't say this in the article, uh, but if you go all the way back to the early 1900s, it was like less than 3% of the black families. Uh, black marriage rates uh, slightly higher than that of white families. Even in the 1890s, and certainly in the 1940s, this was still the case. But what happened? 1960s came along and changed everything. If you go back to statistics in New York City in 1925, uh, 85% of the black households were two-parent households. That's 85% just in 1925. Now, that's actually lower than it was in 1900. But, uh, the, you know, even studies of the 1880 family structure in Philadelphia showed that three-quarters of the black families were two-parent families, and many of those that were single-parent families were single-parent families because of death in the family. It wasn't because they broke up. It was just somebody died. Somebody got sick. Somebody, you know, because there was a lot of deaths. And people worked hard in those days. So anyway, he talks about in the 1960s, devastating nonsense emerged, exemplified by Johns Hopkins University sociology professor who argued it has yet to be shown that the absence of the father was directly responsible for any of the supposed uh, deficiencies of the broken homes. The real issue, he went on to say, is not the lack of male presence, but the lack of male income. That's what Hopkins was saying. That suggests marriage and fatherhood can be replaced by the welfare check. And this is the ideas that was seeping into the people thinking. Well, I couldn't find anywhere where Ruth was saying that. I just said that she she believed that equality only comes to women as well as to men when... They work together as a family. And of course, uh, Black Lives Matter and Marxist philosophy do not want equality of the people. They want the, the equality of outcome that they want is that you're all poor and subject to Marxism. You really should study the origins of Marxism, the origins of Marx. I mean, it's scary. It's demonic. If you actually study it. But if I go into all that now, it'll just distract a lot of people. Just the basic common sense. We're taking these slow stepping stones back to common sense. You've accepted a lie. And you've been replicating that lie in your universities. You've been replicating the falsehoods that somehow or other that you will have a better life. A more successful life, a freer life, if you go towards socialism and Marxism. No, you will not. If you abandon the principles of the kingdom, you will be more susceptible to that lie. The kingdom gives you an immune system. When you work together and take care of all the social welfare through faith, hope, and charity in a common network with one another, you will become immune to these viral lies that have been infesting society. But you've been sending your kids to public education for years now, and you've altered the nature of your society. You can go to the Cato Institute, and according to them, 53% of 18 to 29-year-olds, now, this is, they're just surveying 18 to 29-year-olds, but I can tell you, from 18 to 1-year-olds are getting the same message drilled into them more and more and more. 18 to 29-year-olds view socialism favorably, even though when surveyed, most of them don't seem to know what socialism is. They can't define it. This can be blamed on public education, but I'm, I'm quoting the Cato Institute, but it is the fault of the parents who have been slothful. Now, this is my quote, and I'm explaining. 
the parents have been slothful intending to or in monitoring what their children are being taught. That's really important to understand, and that's why I wrote the article, Schools as Tools, and show you how they've been altering the book. And there's a lot of, you know, Tenpenny, a lot of other people who have written about this, that, uh, and Shafley, and, and, uh, you can find all kinds of books where they have been dumbing down your children so they can't even define socialism. They think it's good, but they don't even know what the definition of it. Even a CBS and New York Times survey found that only 16% of the millennials and 30% of Americans over the age of 30, over the age of 30, 30%, over the age of 30, could define socialism. And and only groups on the right could accurately define socialism. That's why they're on the right. It's because they actually know what socialism is. You know, other people don't even know what socialism is. So those are the percentages. 16% of millennials, 30% of people even over 30 Cannot define socialism. And only those people on the right accurately define it. The people on the left who are advocating it, they don't even know what they're advocating. They lack knowledge. What does it say in the Bible? Yea, but for the lack of knowledge. So anyway, so we're trying to give you... Socialism, again, capitalism, it's not a political thing. It's just what you produce is yours. In capitalism, you can produce a lot of stuff and accumulate a lot of wealth and everything you have if you work really hard and do all that. Now, we, we create laws to protect you from people that would rob you and steal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but those laws already exist in the universe. You just have to get organized in the implementation of them. But the, the reality is socialism is a political system. It's not just an economic system. And capitalism, you can accumulate wealth and be selfish with it. Or you can accumulate wealth and share with it, that wealth with others in some sort of fashion, some sort of institution. Yeah, you know, the, the home church group, they just said that each of us figure out how we can help each other. But that's just, that's very inefficient. It's, it's very efficient in a small little group of five or eight families. You can do that. But you can do that without church. You don't even need that. But Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God where right out of the box you see Paul and Barnabas helping people in other nations. You don't know. What do you just put your, you know, just look in the phone book and mail off your donation to somebody in Galatia? You know, just mail it off to somebody. You know, I saw these names here and I just picked them out of the hat. I'm going to mail my donation off to Corinth because Corinth's having trouble. You think that's a good way to do it? No. But if you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and Corinth is sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and you've actually been preaching Christ and what Christ said to do, and you haven't been coveting one another's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority one over another, which Christ forbid, and so that you're actually following Christ and you're an actual doer of the word, then we can send a minister from Galatia to Corinth, like Paul, and he will know who to give the money to. He will give it to ministers, he knows, but he will look amongst them, and then that's what you're seeing in the epistles. He's saying, you guys, you know, I read some of that Galatian warnings this morning, where he's warning Galatia about what they're doing. He warned Corinth about what they were doing, and and uh, reminding them that they're, they're giving less than almost anybody else. He's not going to make them give, and that is a little bit of, you know, uh, guilt, <laughs> mockery. But what he's doing is trying to awaken you to the ways of Christ. That will alter you to do it that way. Now what's come down, and we've talked a lot about the corruption in different groups and uh, different governments, and you know, like this lady named Kate Brown is pretending to be the governor of Oregon. She's violated the rules to be elected in Oregon. She, so therefore she has already forfeited the office. She's already done it. It's, it's, it's not like somebody will take the office away from you. No, she's forfeited the office, but she's up there giving executive orders because the people have become so weak, they can't stand up to her. They can't get together. It's not my job to do it. I'm over here in the sui juris church. <laughs> I, I, I don't vote. I don't, and I'm not going to tell you which way to vote. I'm just being this moral voice of one crying in the wilderness. But she's not the lawful governor. 
It's easily proved. We've just reported it like a newspaper would should report it. They don't. And uh, in the meanwhile, and back behind the scenes, all the other people in the state government of Oregon who are also in violation of Article 2, Section 22, you can look it up at Preparing You, and it explains you, quotes it right there, shows you all the cases. They're in violation. And so they're trying to change Article 2, Section 22, and you don't hear anything about it in the news at the last minute. When they get close to the election, then you're going to hear about House Joint, no, Senate Joint Resolution 18. And they're going to call it campaign reform. And they're going to come at you really quick, and you won't even have time to find out what they're really talking about. And they're going to try to get you to vote for campaign reform to straighten out the corruption in government. And they hope to pass it. And if they do pass it, and of course they're going to do it with mail-in ballots, which is why we have so many Democrats winning. It's because you've had mail-in ballots for years now. And the mail-in ballots are extremely susceptible to corruption. They know it. Oregon is the, the test, test case for it. You know, and it, I mean, supposedly it says right on the envelopes, at least the envelopes I've seen, it has a little R in the number or a little D in the number. If you're a registered Republican, they know it. So the mailman could say, oh, Republican, that's going to get lost. And uh, it never gets counted. And uh, so, now, I'm, I wouldn't put it past the Republicans to do the same thing, but this is usually the way it is, is the wicked are way ahead of the game because the not quite as wicked or not as wise as the serpent so they're 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 easily de- deceived and that's why that's what they're doing with the Senate joint resolution 18 but that is the measure of corruption we still have people down in the home congregation who think that they're doing what Christ said but 90% of all their welfare is taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other. Well, if you go back 200 years ago, 99% of all the welfare that was provided by any institution was provided by the church. It wasn't provided by government. If you go back and read our free church report and read about the cover, which is a picture of Lady Godiva on the front of the free church report, and you can see that online. It's all free online. You don't have to buy it from me. You can... Just download it at our website at hisholychurch.org and you can see a picture of Lady Godiva right on the front of the free church report. And why is she there? Well, it's because you don't know who Lady Godiva was. You don't know what she used to do. They fed you a lie. They virused your mind to think that she took off her clothes and rode down the street naked. You actually think that because somebody was trying to defame her character and what she was really doing because they wanted to get big bucks from the government. That's why they did it. They wanted to... So you didn't realize that you could actually take care of the needy of your society and have a daily ministration based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty, which strengthens the family, strengthens society, strengthens your community, and strengthens your nation and makes it great again. Because that's what makes it great again. They don't want you to know that. And I talked in this morning's program about how the people fought fires and they came together. They got a lot to learn. We've got we spent a lot of time going the wrong way. But they got a lot to learn and we have to turn around again. Leviticus seventeen eleven, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it is the blood that maketh the atonement of the soul, because the blood is the seed of the soul. And the blood is about sacrifice. And Christ came to teach us how to sacrifice, how to lay down our lives for one another. And if you're not wanting to do that, if you think Christ did it all already, then you're not coming in the name of Christ. You're coming in the name and trying to get through into the kingdom of heaven, not by seeking the righteousness of God, but on the shirt turtles of the laurels of Christ. And there are all kinds of preachers out there that are trying to get you to think you don't have to do the will of the Father, even though Christ said, not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. Proverbs 29.10 The bloodthirsty hate the upright. Those people who want the benefits, want to take a bite out of their neighbor and depend upon men who exercise authority to take a bite out of their neighbor so they can have all these free benefits, they hate the upright. 
But it goes on to say, but the just seek his soul. They seek his own soul. That's what you want to do is, you, there is absolutely no reason to free you until you're ready to spend as much time freeing others as you want to free yourself because you won't be able to maintain your freedom. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That's the Supreme Court most of the time. The fact that you have appointed these men to decide good and evil from you is your evil. You were not to make covenants with them. You were to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness by sitting down in voluntary society of the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. But instead, your parents and your grandparents opted for force, fear, and violence and have gone under fealty and become merchandise, cursed their children, and become sureties for debt. Woe unto them they call that evil good. And the good of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, evil. That put darkness for light. Their acceptance of the lie they call light. And the light they call darkness. What Christ actually preached, what he actually said. How can you argue? You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. How can you argue with that? They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's Isaiah 5.20. There's a lot more on both sides of that you could read. We have already gone through many times before, not only uh, what Walter Williams says and Steele and all these other guys, which, I mean, these are powerful black leaders, but they are not mentioned in modern media. They don't want you to see the truth. And behind the scenes, people like Cloward and Piven have been designing their efforts to people like Bill Clinton and Obama and the rest of them. I mean, they, they eat down at the White House. They did under the Obama administration. They said openly that they wanted to destroy this government. Now you're hearing them say it openly on the news that they want to do it like Raza Aslan. I'm not condemning the guy. He's condemning himself with his own words. You know, like Polybius said, hundreds of years before Christ gave his message and was crucified and showed us how to live our lives according to the way of Christ and shed our own blood for the not for the remissions of everybody else's sins, but for ours because... If you do the will of the Father, this is how he says that you're going to be saved. You know, he, he says, those you come into the kingdom. He said, why us? Because you lay down your life for one another. Because you, you fed my brethren when they were hungry. You clothed them when they were naked. You, we can show you how to do that right now. And the brethren are, are the ministers that he appointed the kingdom. Right now the church is naked. Right now you're dry bones out in the desert of this world. And we're trying to get you to come together and I'm prophesying if you come together and start taking care of one another put flesh on those bones. God will breathe into you the Spirit of God. There's actually several stages of that. Right now you're just scattered bones on the desert. When you see sheep from way up on the mountain and you look out there you see these little white spots that are like scattered bones. But the sheep out here on the church property they come together. But anyway, you you need to turn around your thinking, and this is what we're talking to you about. And, you know, Jason Riley writes all kinds of things. He wrote a book, False Black Power, because they think that the solution is political. No, the solution is spiritual. It isn't political. Socialism is not the answer. Capitalism is not the answer. But capitalism is a tool, because it's not political. It's a tool by which... The Spirit may manifest itself in righteousness. God is the miracle. And God will provide that miracle one to another so that we may all be free souls again under God. But I'm afraid we're headed for hard times. And I could tell you all kinds of stuff about what's coming up. But uh, I will let you go. And until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.